Hey, folks, we just want you to know that all the views and opinions expressed on Military Historians or People Too are ours and that of our guests. They do not represent any organizations, employers, and other entities with which we and our guests may be affiliated or associated. Okay? Got it? Enjoy the show. everybody to a special edition of Military Historians or People Too. We are recording live uh, at the Society for Military History Annual Meeting in San Diego, California. We're at the Hilton Bayfront Hotel in the bar. Yep. That's what you just heard there. Bar adjacent, <laughs> as you just heard, uh, with our very special guest, Andrew Hebner from the University of Alabama. So, Andrew, thanks for joining us today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, this is great. It's the first time we've ever tried this, so yeah. we'll see how this goes. So far, so good, I think. Uh, but anyway, shout out to everybody here at the SMH. Sounds like everybody's having a good meeting. There's a lot of people here. Uh, San Diego is beautiful, and, and everything seems to be going pretty dang good. So welcome, everybody. Brian, why don't you introduce Andrew for us? All right, I will. Uh, today we are sitting with Andrew J. Hebner, and it is important to say that because there's another Andrew Hebner running around this conference. It's created some confusion, so uh, we, we are with... We, I think we have the right one. We do have the right guy. The right yeah. Yeah. So, so we are with Andrew... The other guy Jay may have been misled that he was going to be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, he showed up. <laughs> so uh, Andrew is professor of history at the University of Alabama. He earned his undergraduate degree from Northwestern University and his PhD from Brown University. Andrew was a visiting professor at Brown from 2004 through 2006 and a lecturer in history and English at Harvard during the same span. Since 2017, he's been an Organization of American Historians Distinguished Lecturer. He is the author of Love and Death in the Great War, which was published in, uh, in 2018 by Oxford. That one won the President's Book Prize from the Society for Historians of the Gilded Age and Progressive Era back in 2020. He's also the author of The Warrior Image, Soldiers in American Culture from the Second World War to the Vietnam Era. Uh, UNC did that one in 2008, and it was a nota bene selection uh, for the Chronicle of Higher Education. He's the co-editor of Dixie's Great War with John uh, Giggy. Uh, Alabama did that one in 2020. And uh, he's got the forthcoming titles, The Cambridge History of War and Society in America, uh, doing it with friend of the pod, Jennifer Keene. Uh, and also Race and Gender at War, University of Alabama Press, and he is doing that with another friend of the pod, pod Leslie uh, Gordon. He's also the co-author with Alan Brinkley and John Giggy of a popular American history textbook, The Unfinished Nation, a Concise History of the American People. In addition, his work has appeared in the Journal of American History, Film and History, The 60s, American Studies, and Journalism History. His current project, Buffalo Soldiers and the Making of the United States Empire, is under contract with LiveRight, uh, and that is a W.W. Norton imprint. Right? Right. All right, so uh, Andrew's given talks all over the United States. He is uh, giving a talk here at the Society of Military History. He is uh, no stranger to podcasts, and we are thrilled that he took the time to sit down and talk with us, even though the University of Alabama is playing in, what is this, uh, Elite Eight? Sweet 16. Sweet 16. Sweet 16. Over, over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoulder. so we want to be clear that where we're sitting in the bar, Andrew has clear vision to the TV yeah. on the big screen. So I just took a took a picture of you two, and Andrew's looking over your yeah, shoulder. He's, he's so we're going to make sure we post that on Twitter uh, to show how committed it is. But, um, but yeah, so we've got, we've got our, our beers, uh, which I think is a first for our podcast. It is, yeah. With, 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 yeah. with beers, yeah. unless we were at home in the afternoon having a cocktail yeah. while we were doing it on Zoom. Yeah. But uh, so this is this is great. This is awesome. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, you know the drill. I think. Tell us where you're from. What did your parents do? What kind of house did you grow up in? And then, how did you get into history? So um, I'm from kind of way back. My family is from Wisconsin. And my parents both grew up in Wisconsin. I lived there as a kid until um, seven years old or so, and then we moved to New Jersey. So I grew up in New Jersey. It's kind of like that question: Where are you from versus where do you live? Kind of. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I grew up in Jersey. I think of myself as being from there, but kind of deeper back, my family's, are, are, you know, Wisconsin people. I, they have a lot of people still there and stuff. Yeah. Aunts and uncles and stuff. Um, so I grew up in Jersey um, from the age of seven or eight up till high school. 
until I went to college. Um, lived in a, I grew up in a house in Montclair, New Jersey, where my parents still live to this day. Um, which is a, it's a little town, it's um, kind of a bedroom community of New York City. So we were kind of in the New York City orbit, and we'd go in there a lot. And, um, so, uh, yeah, that's where I grew up. So you had the benefit of being close to the big city, experiencing the big city, exactly. but not actually living in the big exactly. city. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I grew up really loving cities because of that, and loving right. New York City in particular. Yeah. And we'd go in there a lot and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What did your folks do? So um, my dad, um, he has an interesting path. He was uh, he went after he went to med school. He was kind of on the route to being a, a physician, but then kind of lost um, energy and enthusiasm for that for a variety of reasons, and ended up then kind of doing a lot of different things. Ultimately, settled on kind of stock portfolio investment, kind of advising kind of stuff, right? Um, uh, and had his own kind of investment little kind of investment group that he. He managed money, managed people's money, uh, but he was sort of around a lot as a kid. Uh, you know, he had different jobs, but in between them, would sort of be doing that and um, kind of went that route. Um, and my mom was sort of a flip. She was home when I was a kid, uh, but then when I was a teenager, I think, or maybe 10, 11, 12, something like that, she went back to grad school um, and got a PhD in epidemiology, oh. and then became for so. You know, so she must have done undergrad. She'd done undergrad when she was, yeah, and yeah, at so, Madison as, you know, right. when she was college age, but then 20 years yeah, off or whatever. Years passing, yeah, I went back to grad school when I was a kid. So my memory of her as a kid, you know, after she was sort of home with us, but, you know, when she went back to school, she was working on her dissertation, and, you know, we'd yeah. go in with her to, to the city where she was going to school and stuff. And, um, and she then had a long career at Exxon um, in New Jersey as an epidemiologist for right. Exxon, like kind of studying the health of the... Uh, of Exxon's workers around the world. Wow, wow. Yeah. Uh, so. I imagine that she, that was, uh, she probably couldn't write some stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That was probably a, I'm sure she had a non-disclosure. Yeah, she probably yeah, had a non-disclosure. Exactly. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> we may be violating that yeah, non-disclosure right, right, right now. Yeah, so, you, you grow up in Jersey, and then you go to undergrad in Chicago. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, so clearly you were, you were a good student if you're making the leap to Northwestern yeah. out of high school from New Jersey. So uh, what made you decide that's where you wanted to go? Well, um, it's interesting. My, my um, dad had gone there in the 60s. Okay. My Uncle Lee, who's an interesting character, too. If we get to kind of how I got into history, I'll talk more yeah. about him. But um, they had both gone there in the 60s. It was always on my radar as a place, you know, that one could go and, yeah. you know, that existed. Um, but I got into there, into Villanova, I think, and I was kind of all set to go to Villanova, actually. And I still remember, I was, you know, 17, I was sitting at the kitchen table with my, my parents, and I sort of said, like, do I really want, I was kind of going to Villanova because it was close to Jersey, right. and it was just sort right. of safer, and, and I just sort of had this sort of aha thing, like, you know. I don't know. That's the easier thing to do. Let's let's do the harder thing. Yeah. Not, not that yeah. it was that hard, but um, just to kind of go a little further afield. And so, kind of the last minute, I think I'd already paid the deposit and everything to Villanova, and made the switch and went out there. But so the path had been tried a bit in my in my family, and so had, I actually had been there with my dad for a reunion or something the year before, maybe. Or um, so it was. That's how it got on my kind of. On my and did you do history as an undergrad there? Yeah, I, when I got there, I was planning to do political science, actually, but then I took one class. No, weren't and, we all? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, you know, because I wanted to, actually, I wanted to run for president in 2020. That was my plan. <laughs> that was the goal? Yeah, that was the goal. I didn't do that, by the way. Um, but, so I was going to do political science, but then I took a class, and as you may know, I mean, yeah. it just wasn't what I thought. I thought it was going to be touchy-feely stuff about yeah. political philosophy no, it's all, and um, parties and it was models and, yeah. and kind of social what is science. The, what was the, the computer data thing? We did, it, was, it was something SSP or yeah, SPS like or that. something. Yeah. We ran all the uh, election right. data yeah, information. Exactly. Yeah. It, it kind of was, and I took an international relations class or something. Right. It was like, it just was about modeling and prediction and stuff like that. Yeah. And that, that's fine. Just, that wasn't what I was after. So, right. I switched to history. I, the turning point is I took a class with a guy. Uh, I took a class in the Vietnam War, actually. And he was, this, this is like 1991 or two. He had right. the long, you know, this, the, the cool guy professor then, like, had the long hair and went right. to went Whereas to shows. the cool guys now have sculptured hair. Exactly. And a little, course, little yeah, it's totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.
so this is this this guy. It was all discussion. We just we read the things they carried. I still teach that book, and you yeah. know have that same copy. We read a ton of books. We read a lot, but we discussed. It was all discussion based, really. And the guy was sort of super cool. He'd walk among us and everything. And yeah. it just suddenly just like went off. Like wow, this is a that, that's this guy's job. Is he's yeah. doing? He's. I never even occurred to me to do that. To do that profession, I had other things in mind, but like politics or whatever. But. So that, that class really flipped it. I tell students to this day when I teach that book, like this book is what kind of got me into history into and, it. or into, into the idea that it was a profession. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I switched to history pretty quick. Hmm. So was there a clear plan then to get a PhD or you know, do this? Or That's what good. was the... Yeah, so the way that worked was, we're up 17 to 16, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> commanding lead. Uh, yeah, so I don't think my... During the four years of college, I think I was still thinking about politics down the line. Um, and probably toward the in senior year, I wrote a senior thesis. And like for a lot of us, that was kind of the, like having that really kind of floated my boat, like being on my own steam and doing that at right. my own pace yeah. and all that. I love that. And that kind of is what turned, part of what turned me to, I don't know, like that and so I, I got really into kind of treating it like, a, you know, doing it nine to five every day, really kind of diving in. And so, I think, yeah, senior year probably I decided that I wanted to go to grad school. I knew I wanted to take a year off, though, so um, my Uncle Lee, who I was mentioning earlier, he had, he had a, got a PhD in history from Harvard, like, in the 60s, but then oh, he did okay. all these different things as a speechwriter for Richard Nixon, and um, by this point, he was, um, and he had been the publisher of International Herald Tribune in Paris, France, and by this point, he was the president of a university called the American University of Paris. Oh, yeah. And so, long story short, me and a couple of friends, we, we kind of talked to him and we got jobs, basically. We just, I did like my junior year abroad, but after college. Yeah. And so, went to Paris for a year, well, it was supposed to be a year, applied to grad school. Actually, I didn't get in the first year. I applied to, you know, I hand wrote the applications. Yeah. This is like... Now the good old days. Yeah, yeah, the good old days. I mean, I didn't even get the type. Did you get like the big book? No, yeah. Mark, yeah. Yeah. Borders, probably. Yeah, exactly. Borders exactly. Books, yeah. You know, graduate program. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It took the GRE and all that. Had all the addresses in it. Right. And I applied to grad schools just assuming I'd get into all of them and just have a choice. Yeah, I right. got into none of them. Um, so then from Paris, took it a little more seriously, applied like to 10 or 11 and ended up getting in eventually. But yeah, I think senior year of high school or college is when that right. plan got laid down. So I'm, I'm catching some like some Illuminati vibes here. It's like, you know, mom <laughs> mom worked for Exxon. Yeah. Uncle was a Harvard, you know, PhD yeah. who, who was a Nixon speechwriter. Yeah, that's, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Your work, at least to us, seems like, you know, you usually deal with issues of gender, masculinity, warrior ethos, right? Yeah. Um, which, you know, is kind of trendy now. Yeah. But right. you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, how did you get interested in the ways that gender norms shape yeah. military history and the soldier experience? How did that come about? It's interesting, yeah. I, I, so I wrote my dissertation at Brown, um, Brown University under James Patterson. I don't know mm -hmm. if you know, he's a, kind of, you know, yeah, he's a yeah, modern yeah. U.S., yep. real eclectic kind of, if you look at his scholarship record, he's written on race and politics. This book on 1965? 1965 it's was amazing. a more recent one, yeah. Yeah. yeah basic, yeah. yeah. Um, and I knew him... I sort of, you know, I, when you apply to grad school, you may reach out to the people and stuff, and he was sort of the, the, the modern U.S. person, but there really wasn't, you know, there wasn't like a Warren Society kind of person. You know, I didn't even right. really, yeah. I wouldn't have even known that term, actually. Right. So, um, so, but he wrote a book about Brown v. Board of Ed later, but his big book at that point was Grand Expectations, which won the yeah. Bancroft, which was like one of those Oxford sort yeah. of surveys. Yeah, big doorstopper. Doorstopper, yeah. exactly. So if you know his work at all, I mean, I, to call him, you know, he's not a historian of gender by any stretch, um, and nor was I. I mean, I wrote this, I wrote that dissertation about the representation of soldiers in popular culture and film and media and other things. And it's kind of interesting to think about in retrospect. He was not at all an obvious person to direct that. Yeah. Um, you know, he had no military kind of study, military history or more society work of his own at all. But he was a great advisor and really just a good you know, just nuts and bolts, kind of writing stuff and all that. So I didn't get the gender kind of angle at all from him. Um, I think, I remember in grad school, you know what, it's funny you're asking this, kind of jogging this. Um, <laughs> but Elliot Gorn... That's why, that's why we do it. Yeah. yeah. 
but I just, yeah, I just remember this. So Elliot Gorn came to Brown while I was there, and he had done stuff on masculinity and boxing. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember these sort of moments. Like, now you can't even recover not having had these sensibilities. Yeah. But I was like, oh, my God, your gender. I might have yeah. never even thought about it. And he, he right. encouraged, because my dissertation was about the image of the soldier. He obviously has to involve yeah. images of masculinity and standards in terms of that. But that wasn't part of my vocabulary yet. And I think he was talking to Gorn, but kind of, he said to me, I remember this now, I haven't thought of this in 25 years, but I actually remember where we were, we were having lunch somewhere in Providence, and he said, once you kind of get, think of gender as a lens, you're going to see everything through that. Yeah. Yeah. And he was absolutely right, and it suddenly, kind of on a, on, 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 on a dime, changed how I was reading the sources I was reading. And so, masculinity became a big part of that book, and I... I but I always have considered myself, I'm sort of an armchair gender historian. I wasn't trained in that. I know, yeah. Yeah. never took a class in that ever. Right. Um, and as I said, my advisor had no So, So how, how have you wrestled then, or have you, with, with theory? Yeah. Because I know Greg Daddis, you know, yeah. he had to wrestle with it when he wrote his book, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vietnam. I mean, I've wrestled with it by basically not, sort of respectfully not doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. You've wrestled with it by refusing to step on the mat. I refuse to step on the mat. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, and I never, to be honest, I mean, to this day, I mean, when I teach grad courses, and often now I teach grad courses that are very explicitly about, or at least have segments that are about military service and gender and other things, I teach tons of books, and my second book is very explicitly right. about all that. But I don't think I've ever done it maybe to the satisfaction of the kind of the... the Do you feel like, the, did you feel like... You, people, did, and that's okay. Did you need it to? No, I... Right? I mean... I mean, and I'm not saying that yeah. to just the theorist, the, the theory, but... Yeah. No, I don't... I never felt super bad about not... Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. fair enough. although someone who would think it has shortcomings for that reason, that's fair enough. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I always sort of saw it as like... And I understand what theory is and what it can be for. Right. It just... Um, I don't know. This sort of sounds like kind of simplistic, but to me it was always like... Read the sources, read the primary. Th- I mean, look at the image. I mean, it kind of jumps off you the take page. Them yeah. I don't know that you I, go where they take you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I, I think it has its place, and people who are advocates of it could make a very good, right. a better case for it than I can make right. against it, probably. Um, it just never, I don't know, it sort of never felt necessary to me. Yeah, sure. And then I, I, I've heard you guys talk about this before. The other problem is the impenetrability about of a lot of the writing that, that invokes yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which it may have very, you know, kind of useful. Applications. I, but I just sort of haven't seen them in action. Impenetrable, yeah. yeah. nevertheless. Yeah. I don't know. Steve Trout, you had on. I've, I've talked to him about this a lot. And right. his, his work is such a model to me. He's obviously conversant with literary criticism and literary right. theory. But I don't know. Somehow he still writes about it in a way that. Is, yeah, he is, doesn't burden you. He doesn't right. burden you. Yeah, right. he doesn't burden yeah. you. It's maybe doing work off camera, yeah. but it's what you're seeing, what you're reading is. Right. It's legible. And I think that one of the changes, you know, the past decade, 15 years, is that people who used to do theory almost prided themselves on writing in a way that was only understandable to other intellectual historians or people who are doing theory. And now, you know, know, you've got to make it accessible to everyone. And so, uh, I don't know, you know... used to be you couldn't walk into the university history department without hearing someone say yeah. ten times. And yeah. <laughs> well, right. this was this is sort of, you know, I think we all agree kind of basically. But I mean, when I taught in Histon Lit at Harvard, right. this was interesting because it was kind of, that program was sort of dominated by the literature side. And so sometimes we'd go to these sort of symposia, all the tutors that were kind of part of that. It was kind of history people and lit people, but the kind of heads of the program were tended to be lit people and they would sort of give these sort of talks and yeah. everyone in the crowd would sort of be nodding along and I'd be kind of like oh I guess I should nod along too and yeah. then I'd hear people privately saying like I had no idea what the hell they were talking about yeah. yep. um, right. I'm not saying they're not talking about something maybe I'm just not equipped to grasp yeah. it but um, sure. no I'm with you I always felt like I, I, I'm clearly not smart enough Right. to get what these people are talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I never felt like, you know, oh, I'm superior to these people, this is garbage. I felt right. like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to, to get this stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just two different... Yeah, right. Talking right. past each other. Yeah. yeah. Too much. Um, we should just continue on. Yeah, we can just continue we, on. We don't, we don't need to do we a break. Need to do a, uh, yeah. do a break. It's, yeah. only, it's only going to get louder yeah, uh, as, yeah. as people start to... You know, I feel bad since we're, we're from the conference here. Getting that afternoon slot 
is the worst slot to get, um, you know, other than the Sunday morning early slot. Yeah. But because, you know, after sitting in panels all day, people are, are starting to say, ah, I'm going to skip that afternoon slot and go and ahead go and go to the beer. bar. Yeah, go exactly. get a beer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. the one I had in right. yeah. Because there's a basketball game. It's 21-21 with 3.22 yeah. to go yeah. in the first half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least it's not on CBS, so you're not missing these, these silky... Uh, not so smooth molasses voice of Jim Nance and, <laughs> and, and Al, right? Well, yeah. since since we're watching, you know, the NCAA tournament here as a Clemson grad, I will say Clemson not making the tournament was uh, was truly uh, it's criminal. Okay. You, you got a, a team that wins I, off the top of my head twenty three games, and they don't make the NCAA tournament, and a team that they've beaten three times in the year does make it. There's uh, something uh, NC State. Oh, really? There's something. Uh, yeah, Allen. Allen was yeah. very put out by all that. Yeah, that's messed Allen up. Down. That's messed very up. Very put out. But um, okay, so you know, putting this together, I do uh, a lot of sleuthing, trying to find information, and one of the things that pops up uh, for you online now is that you are working with an agent. Oh, yeah. And uh, so you know, your first books, uh, Oxford, Chapel Hill. Um, I think a lot of people even in our profession, myself included, don't really understand how that whole process works. So like how you decide, I'm gonna do this next book with an agent. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about like, you know, are you approached by an agent? Do you actively say, I want this next book to be something that I have an agent shop around for me? How did you decide that you were gonna you yeah. were gonna do that? And obviously the next book's gonna be coming out with Norton. Yeah. And so your your strategy yeah. worked. Okay, yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. okay, so I am, um, with my second book, The Love and Death Book, I had wanted that one. To, I, would, I was interested in writing that one for a trade press. Yeah. Um, and it has, a, you know, it tracks three or four individual people. And um, I always envisioned that, hopefully, as a kind of like a broader audience sort of book. So I actually approached a couple agents about that book. And the way it works is um, you, it sort of helps to have some kind of entree to them. Like I, I had colleagues who'd used agents, and yeah. so I would sort of approach them, you know, where they would sort of, you know, E introduce us yeah. kind of thing. And I approached one about th- that book and who very nicely sort of said they thought it would, you know, thought it was better for a, an academic press. It was funny with that book, but as I was shopping that book, both like sort of trade presses and academic presses both sort of thought it was too much like the other like one. Like the other. Yeah. Which made me think like, maybe I'm doing it exactly right. Or, or where's the, exactly where's right. the purgatory? Bro? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. ended up finding a good home with Oxford with their kind of crossover. Yeah. Thanks. So that that was that ended up being great. But but with this one, I really wanted. I just wanted to partly, you know, the sound. This is not very sophisticated. I just wanted to have a different experience. Yeah, you know, like sure. not you know the peer review. All that stuff's fine. But I just wanted to try something different. Write in a different way. Have the review process be different. Um, I teach a ton of trade books in my grad classes. Yeah. I, I you know I'm, a good academic book is great. I'm all for that. But I you know I like the, the little bit of a pivot those take. To making the pages turn and stuff, I think is worth is a worthy, and interesting, an interesting project. You know, I wanted to see if I could do that. So I went back to that same agent actually, and very nicely turned down Love and Death. Um, and she and so it was. So I had a proposal for this Buffalo Soldier book, all kind of cooked up. And she was interested in it. She said, well, "I think this this has possibility. Let's talk." And we talked, and a great, really good long conversation. She's great. Um, and I, but it's interesting. She just has a very you know. I don't know if I should say very different or subtly different way of seeing this whole thing than we do, which is like toward audience and toward selling the books and toward selling the project to a press that is interested in selling books. Um, And and I don't mean to set that up as like an either or, because a lot of these good trade presses are very interested in having high level kind of good academic scholarship. scholarship. So it's not a false choice. But anyway, so... She saw the proposal we talked, and she sort of agreed to kind of take it on. But then it, this proposal that I thought was, like, locked and loaded, we spent six months getting it into shape, wow. with back and forth. Um, and I had written it very much with trade presses in mind, which she just was great, I and mean, she was very patient and kind of, um, you know, I had this opening hook that I thought was real sort of hooky and kind of perfect, but she thought, well, that's not really what the book's about. Anyway, she just had a lot of surprising suggestions about how to, to kind of pitch it um, you know, in a lot of different ways. Well, it testifies to how different the, the worlds are. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Two worlds are, exactly. Really. And, I, and this was, you know, I'd already had sort of massaged it in that direction, I thought, yeah. to yeah. that right. point, you know. Um, but we anyway, we spent, I think it was, you know, five, six months kind of getting it into, into shape. 
and then um, she so then she she came to me with like what are the presses you would like us to shop it to so the whole reason to do this is um, Norton the kind of the big Norton Livewright's an, an imprint of Norton yeah. and there's an interesting backstory with Livewright it's a very old press actually it's like 100 years old they were real active back in the 20s and right. published like some of the lost generation authors and stuff but anyway you don't like absolutely have to have an agent to approach trade presses but you, you really should for most of them I yeah. mean there's some kind of exceptions to that so you kind of need one though basically like if you're going to go to a bunch of them right and um, in fact a lot of them will just say that right on their website we, we don't take just open yeah. submissions yeah. Um, a few of them say they will but anyway it's almost like a university press saying we don't deal with agents yeah <laughs> yeah I know yeah, they don't the say that yeah, but exactly. there's, well, an, there's an implied yeah. and so you know you, you had the two academic books before yeah. We've got, I think we can say this, if we can't, Bill can take it out. Like we've got a young colleague who um, is doing the opposite. He came in, he's got an agent for his first book. And so he's worried, you know, is the review process exactly. going to be this. enough yeah. for, you know, what, what is expected in terms of scholarship? Yeah, we've had this issue come up a little bit too, because, especially because of the peer review element. Yeah. Because with the trade press, um, you know, they don't officially commission academic reviews. Um, but you can you can get your own offline yeah. and you can kind of do it that way. But that that causes pause for some people in the first book. So, yeah. but anyway, just to wrap up the process. So she she asked me the presses and I said, well, my dream presses, and I gave her three. And she said, all right, well, let's just start with those. And so she reaches out to them and um, and one of them kind of was interested right off the bat. It just kind of it just happened kind of quickly. So. Yeah, so it worked exactly as I kind of hoped it would, and, and, and I think, you know, now I just have to write it, but that's yeah. another question. Well, and, and we, one of our, our former colleagues, he's retired now, um, John Bryant, wrote with Norton, yeah. and I remember him saying one of the big differences was, is like, you know, you're writing an academic book, you don't get, you don't meet your own personal deadlines, people are kind of like, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. get it to us when you can. He's like, these people want it yeah. on that date. Yeah. I'm, I'm breaking out in hives as you say this because this is my current anxiety of the day. It's due Christmas of 24, which feels incredibly soon to me. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, I've worked on it quite a lot, but you know how it goes. It's just slow going. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if it all happens. All right. So your new project on Buffalo Soldiers and the making of the United States Empire. What is that about? What do you want to accomplished with it? Uh, how's this going to change our understanding of the Buffalo Soldiers in well, American history? What are, you, what are you doing? Explain yourself. Okay, well, one interesting kind of go at it backwards is one cool thing about writing for a trade press is that you can imagine, you know, I don't know how you all feel about, you know, historiographical novelty, like that's such a pressure in our early yeah, kind of yeah. work, and I never, that was never my thing, really, was to get in these pissy matches with people about right, right. overturning stuff or whatever, and I always, always seemed like what we do is I don't like the kind of militarized dimension of it, like, you know, harsh reviews and like, well, this isn't new and all that stuff. I mean, I get it. It's got to be there. but So I like the idea of kind of having, writing a book that will, you know, a lot of it will be new, but be new to who? I mean, it'll be new to the trade audience right. that just hasn't read right. hundred books about this stuff. Right. And so, and I'm fine with this. If there's a scholarly side that says, like, well, we already know some of this, like, yeah, that's yeah, very yeah. uncool. It's not for you. It's not for you, right. <laughs> so... Very long story short, I, for years I thought about doing a book on the 1917 Houston Rebellion yeah. um, of the Black Soldiers of the 24th yes. Infantry. But, it's a very long story, but I, that was always sort of percolating. But then, I don't know, I was approaching a sabbatical, I was a chair for a year right during COVID, which was, COVID hit, I was interim chair, COVID hits in March of that year. Say, that's a lost weekend. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a year-long sabbatical coming up after that. And it was a weird sabbatical because like, I sat down the first day of the sabbatical like, well, what should my next book be about? As right. opposed to having it hit at a better moment where yeah. you're like right in the middle of working on it. So I had this Houston book idea, but then that started feeling a little formulaic. I don't know, just do like the rebellion kind of microhistory thing. And I always wanted to do a bigger book on American militarism. Like, right. why did Americans in 1800 hate the idea of a standing military and in 2020 have one of the biggest in the world and love it more than they love any other institution in the world. So I wanted to do a big kind of synthetic book that would like track that chain. I ended up basically kind of merging the two ideas in a way and to cross over a lot of different like complications. 
ended up pitching and thinking of it as a story of sort of the growth of the, the military as a, a kind of a proto-militarization period, kind of before the 20th century when we think of the American military as becoming the behemoth that it is, but tying that into the story of these four black regiments in the U.S. Army, which were a quite big part of the Army for a half century, from 1866 when they were created, and it culminates with the Houston Rebellion in 1917, right. um, which sort of was the last nail in the coffin of a, of a broader process whereby they basically got, I'm, I'm just you know, again, smoothing over some nuance, but like kind of not invited to the party anymore of American militarization. None of the four black regiments fought in the First World War overseas. They got sent to different places in Hawaii and the U.S. So it's kind of a story that merges um, it merges the, the, the story of these four regiments in this kind of forgotten, again, for the popular audiences, but like kind of forgotten moment when they, black, not, not as labor um, soldiers like they were in World War I or right. World War II, yeah. but as full service sort of infantry and cavalry right. in the U.S. Army, um, recovers their, their, their period, their sort of heyday, but kind of keys it to this broader story about um, kind of militarization of American empire, because they were key foot soldiers in um, in the West, in Cuba, in the Philippines, Philippines yeah. Yeah, in Hawaii. Right. And so it, it, it's sort of a lot of balls to keep in there. Is this one of those regiments the same that was in Brownsville? Yeah, that was the 25th. Right, 25th? Yeah. yeah. We have a master's student who's looking at okay. uh, black and white newspaper reaction oh, cool. to, the, uh, to, to, to the Brownsville oh, okay. incident. As it yeah, that's going to yeah. be a chapter in yeah. our book, probably. But, yeah. So, we got to put him in touch with yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, it's it's kind of it's trying in a sense it's a kind of a travelogue of these four regiments. It's not meant to be comprehensive. There's other right. ones out there that are that are that are great, but it sort of ties their service. It kind of pitches that they had these sort of three roles. They were agents of empire, but they're also targets of white supremacy, and they were sometimes resistors, as in the culminating moment of the book and Houston resistant resistors against. Uh, white supremacy, at, at, you know, in Houston and other places, Brownsville and other places. Right. So that's the sort of. It's almost like the Houston thing, like fruit is like, see Brownsville, and that told exactly. you, told you, exactly. told you yeah. so. Exactly. Here's what's going to But it's happen. a declension kind of narrative because yeah. they were, they sort of, they were, you know, they operate in the West largely until, the, until 1898. Which is where but, they're harmless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the, in the right. scope and of that's why the white supremacy, right? Because they're out there in the right. Yeah. But they kind of came on to the radar of Americans, especially American white Southerners, yeah. in 1898 because they came through the South to, to staging, right. to, to Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some famous stories of them coming through Alabama and Florida and yeah. having these you know, violent sort of you know, white people who like, couldn't believe that they were armed black men. Right. Um, and, you know, as regulars in the U.S. Army, too. And so that kind of... That was sort of the beginning of the end. Despite fighting bravely in, in Cuba and in the Philippines and then coming back um, and then being kind of sidelined in World War One, leading right. up to Houston, then Houston. But it's funny how that. it just becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy almost because yeah. then you have what happens to the 92nd Division exactly. in the war in World War One, right? right exactly. You know, it's, it's disgraced and, yeah, and the, you know, all that. Rapist Division. Yeah, yeah. 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 right. Exactly. Huh. Right. Yeah, so that that's basically what it is. That's yeah. that's the project. I mean, good stories. Yeah, and that's amazing the hope. Stories, that's the, my hope right? is that it, it amazing stories. Yeah, that's the hope is that it yeah. it's, it's got narrative power. Yeah. You know, you you did the academic books, and you know, I think one of the questions we ask, or you know, that we get asked when you, you have a project, people say, "So what?" And I think that increasingly now, the, the "so what" is yeah, like you said. This is not a story that is going to be new to everyone, but yeah. I'm bringing it to a new audience. Exactly. Because a lot of people are not going to read the academic literature on on Buffalo Soldiers, but you know this is the kind of thing that is accessible, and increasingly you know, that's that's what we have to, to be mindful of is, yeah. is making this, uh, this these stories. Yeah. We can call it that now. But there'll be new things. In yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. going to come across new stories. Yeah, and, 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 and a lot of it also has to do with kind of reframing yeah. their service. You know, they, they've been described kind of as proto-citizenship, civil rights kind of warriors. Right. That's, in, that's an angle that I'm going to track and so on. But, you know, there's this, a lot of the novelty of our work, I guess I should say, is sort of subtle. And so the subtleties will be there sort of for the scholarly audience. Yeah. But I think the splashy kind of, so, because the other thing, irony is that trade presses want a splashy yeah. kind of so what. Yeah. 
you know, the, the so-and-so that changed America. That's the, main, the subtitle. Or so the untold story. Untold story. Untold story. Yes, forgotten. Untold story. You know, and, and, forgotten yeah. and so I'm a little bit of a kind of, you know, contrarian. Like, I don't want to, like, fall into those tropes necessarily. But I think that the recovering this role that these soldiers played, and also just the complexity of it with this sort of triple identity for the trade audience, that's kind of what I hope to bring, um, uh, kind of to bring to their... Sort of will, will you get into uh, popular depictions of black soldiers? You know, like, I'm yeah. thinking, like, everything from Puck to, you know, I'm sure you've seen some of the sheet music and the illustrations on sheet music about black soldiers, both yeah. pro and racist. Right. right. Yeah. Um, there's some fascinating things. There. Yeah, I mean, the one, this, this is not exactly what you're at, I mean, the Buffalo Soldiers, song by Bob Marley, yeah. It's sort of a hook I use, part of the hook I use in the proposal. Okay. Because in a way, that song actually gets at the complexity of the, the experience, this triple identity that I'm talking right. about. Right. You know, came to America, fight the war for America, um, through the streets of San Juan and stuff. I mean, it's very much about empire and yeah. about how they sort of have these dual or triple identities. So um, I, I'm trying to explicitly actually, my first book was about representation. Right. Like nothing happened in that book, you know, it was all just. They were, uh, this appeared that way, and this soldier looked that way, and this was the idea. It was all very fuzzy. And, yeah. and my second book tried to put representation into the context of experience. It was about the state sold the war as being about this certain stuff about family and love and all that. But how did that actually have purchase or not among regular people? Right. This third one is really kind of squarely about experience, I think. And right. I, I want things to happen in this book. I want there to be action. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm laughing because in my mind I, I'm thinking about this stoner kid sitting in your audience, uh, in your in your class, yeah. and you talking about you know Buffalo Soldiers, Sam Juan, and the kid going to be like, "Where have I heard this? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know this story." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's ringing a bell. This isn't new. I've heard this. <laughs> this guy thinks he's like you know dropping knowledge on us. I, I know, know this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So before we get into the rapid fire, I just want to ask you a really kind of simple question. You know, what do, what do you like being about like being at, at the University of Alabama? Well, it's good to have a job, obviously. Well, there's that. Um, yeah. yeah, I've always felt very lucky to have it to be there. I don't know, there's a lot of ways to go that, at that. I mean, it sort of, I don't know, cost of living, weather, all that stuff just scratched. I don't know. Right. I, like, I don't know how this was for you guys. I mean, we don't really choose where we go. I didn't yeah. go yeah, to right, yeah, exactly. living yeah, school. Yeah, grad school, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I applied, I applied to 75 jobs, which tells you a lot about the market that there yeah. were 75 jobs. And I got one. Right. And yeah. the one I got was that one. So, um, but it, you know, having lived in cities a lot and in the Northeast and in the Midwest, and I was ready to be in, was, you know, the, the climate, the cost of living. I like the town, I like college towns. Um, yeah. The towns changed a lot. I mean, you know, the, obviously the football program is a huge yeah. part of this, but the, the town's grown and I mean, the, the, the student body's doubled since I got there. Yeah. And when I first got there, most of my students in the room were from Alabama. Yeah. Um, now mostly they're not. You Actually, get a lot of Georgia students. Yeah, tons of Georgia. Yeah. And yeah. I, you, you guys probably know this, but our, our, our former president pioneered this sort of plan of like poaching the best students from yeah. all the other 49 states. Right, right. Who maybe, even without a state, maybe it's even cheaper than going to their, I don't know, to their... And we, you know, we, we actually, you know, we, this is discussed at our, our meetings because yeah. when we reintroduced SAT, ACT requirements, Alabama didn't. And so a lot yeah. of students... Had that another year where they were like, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't want to take the SAT, okay. um, and yeah. so they were like, and you know, go to University of Alabama. It's a great school, great, yeah. great college life. Yeah. Um, somebody can correct me on that if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty positive that they kept those requirements yeah, I think out. That's right. Yeah, yeah for, right. for an additional year. We've now dropped them again, I think. Yeah. By the way, so yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, such an arms race, I guess, to try to get oh, these, two, especially yeah. with these demographic changes totally. that are coming. I guess, but there's there's a lot of good and bad things about being anywhere. Um, but I. Sure. I we have a good department. I've mainly gotten yeah. along with people. We have um, good people. Beautiful campus. Beautiful yeah. campus. Just, yeah, yeah, that's right. You were just yeah, there. it's a beautiful yeah. campus. And, and, you know, and my God, the baseball studio. Yeah, it's a cool. Alone was amazing, right? Um, it helps. Know. I mean, I'm a sports fan. I mean, yeah. a lot of people come there. If you hate sports, I mean, I get that it's a little bit grotesque. Sure. You know, we were talking before we got on the show about this a little bit. Um, you know, it can be. A, it can. If that's not your thing, that can yeah. be off-putting. Yeah. But I, you know, I to me it brings an energy and a kind of. 
you know, it's this little town in the middle of nowhere in Alabama. Yeah. Which, but because of this thing, right. you know, it also has a Mercedes plant. It's like, well, that has that too. Yeah. Sure. Where, where the hell did that come from, right? Yeah. 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 But it becomes so, a center of gravity for these other yeah. reasons too. Sure. For the better for sure. One of my uh, German history buddies is in your department. Yeah, Yannick. Yannick. Yeah. yeah. And, right. you know, you're talking about a guy from Brookline in Boston yeah. who comes down and if, if, right. if, if Tus- Tuscaloosa, now he doesn't live in Tuscaloosa, yeah, but, you know, if, if that can keep him around. And, you yeah. know, he's, he, went, like all of you, Mm-hmm. All of you that I know, like you immediately are like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll tide. <laughs> you know what's funny though, Brian? When I got the job, I was in New England, I got the job, and somebody said to me, roll tide. And I said, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I, I'd never heard that before. What's the deal with the elephant? Yeah, we didn't yeah. watch college sports. We didn't watch college football really. What's up? Yeah. yeah, I got tickled. You know, we were there for Steve Trout's yeah. conference, and we were in the, the Bear Bryant Conference Center. I know. Which was right next door to the Bear Bryant Alumni Center. There's a bank, the Bryant which Bank. Is, and the, which in between is the Bear Bryant Museum, <laughs> yeah. which is all conveniently located on Bear, Bear Bryant, Bryant Drive. Drive. Yeah, yeah. Bryant Drive. Right. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's really, it's yeah. really something. Yeah, and there's Gene Stallings Drive, and yeah. Saban has a statue already. There's no street for him yet, though. Yeah. There will be. There will no, there will be. be. Yeah. 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 yeah, something will get renamed yeah. for him. Absolutely. And then you all try to take Dabo and, and save him. You think that's what's going to happen? Nah, I don't I mean, that's, I think it was Clemson fans' biggest fear is that yeah. he'll, he'll that, was, that, that used to be the narrative. I don't know who yeah. the heir apparent is now, though. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, Dabo's, you know, sorry, Dabo. Uh, <laughs> not really innovative. Um, so, yeah. yeah. He's lost a lot of his coaches yeah. going somewhere else. So. I've got another question now. Okay. No, no. Now that I know he's from New Jersey, I mean, for rapid fire, i got another okay. question. Oh, you got a so question? So we'll, we'll do 11. Okay, okay that's fine. Good. All right, well, let's do the rapid fire then. All right. Sounds good. All right, you know how this goes. We got, we're going to ask you a series of questions. We'll, we'll go back and forth. I was going to think about these ahead of time, but I decided not to. I'm just going to yeah. go See, with Brian, the See, when I interviewed him in our class, yeah, our class I saw you all he, he was like, well, I thought you'd just come up with a whole bunch of new random yeah. stuff. For me. <laughs> so I, I didn't think about it. So I know I asked him this. But he did well. He did well. All right. All right, you ready? Yeah. All right, coffee or alcohol, which one would you give up if forced to choose? Jeez. How did you come up with that one? I don't know. Just thinking about <laughs> things I would have a hard time giving up. <laughs> that, the answer's changed over the years. I might say alcohol. I think I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I'd say alcohol. Yeah, interesting. All right. Um, For me, it would be like Diet Dr. Pepper or alcohol. Yeah. Okay. Maybe a tough one. And what would you answer? Uh, probably alcohol. Okay. Actually. I had. Well, I, need, that, I need the throat burn. Right, right. I think the genesis of that question. I had um, friends in Columbus, Ohio, who were you know older. I mean, they're probably in their their late seventies now. But um, they took very good care of me when I was in grad school. Mm-hmm. And she, Maggie, told me that there came a time in her life where she had to decide: Am I giving up alcohol or dessert? Really? And and she chose one. Her husband chose the other. So mm-hmm. like at the end of the meal, you know, she would have dessert. Yeah, yeah, oh, wow. It yeah. was like one. You know, she's just like you know, in terms of calories, you can't do both. That's, right. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. So um, okay, one band or singer for the rest of your life only. Who is it? Okay. Someone just told me to say Billy Joel and yeah. Taylor Swift. Yeah, Billy Joel. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's I can't. I have to pick one, so I can't use them. Um. I love Led. I'm gonna. I don't know, I'm gonna dance around this for a second. I love Led Zeppelin. They'd be a candidate. You want someone with a big catalog, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's one band. You know who I love? I don't know if you've heard. Do you know Modest Mouse? The band <laughs> Modest Mouse. Yeah. It might be that. They have so many okay. records. I mean, I love them. And there's a lot of range. Though. A lot of range. Yeah. Um, if you're gonna force me to pick one, that, that might be that. Oh, that's all right. That's, that's a first. That's yeah, a first. that's a good one. I like it. Yeah. All right. What was your first car? In grad school, I bought from a friend a, a silver Honda Civic, like a 2000, 2001 Honda Civic. That's a pretty boring first car. Yeah, yeah that's, that's <laughs> yeah, I didn't have a car. I didn't, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't, you like, didn't have one. I didn't have a, what's that? You didn't have one for a while, right? Yeah, you I didn't. didn't well, it. I mean, I drove, like, my parents' car in high school. Yeah. So yeah. I assume you mean, like, my car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was a Honda Civic, yeah. I drove it down to Alabama. The, the air conditioning air conditioning failed, <laughs> which immediately I knew was not going to work no, in Alabama. no. So yeah, that was yeah. A, that was a, a one silly. What was yours? Um, I had in high school my first I had a truck, an old nineteen sixty eight Ford, just plain Ford beat up. Pickup truck. Oh, yeah, cool. I mean it's basically like a ranch truck. Okay. I mean bailing wire holding the. I, I had a, I've got a great one. You know, nineteen eighty three Z twenty eight Camaro. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> wow. It was everything you're imagining right I, now. Yes. T tops. T tops. Piece, of, piece of garbage. I mean, <laughs> I got my driver. Yeah. Deck? Oh yeah. I have. My, I got my driver's <laughs> license and. I mean, 93, 94, so, you know, it's 10-year-old Camaro. Okay. Um, yeah. What's the dead milking song? Pitching the Camaro. Yeah. <laughs> and at the time, I thought that was like, other than getting a new Camaro, that was like the coolest possible yeah. car that you could get. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, of course now, you know, and, and friends of mine would be like, you know, that's like a redneck car, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, better Italian food, Providence or Chicago? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, Chicago for the deep dish pizza, but Providence, Atwell's Avenue has these famous yeah. Italian restaurants, and yeah. I gotta go Providence. We would see the uh, Buddy Cianci, the mayor of Providence, you may know, was a sort oh, of connected yeah. guy yeah, yeah. who right. was in prison and stuff. There's a place I went all the time when my parents would be coming to town or whatever, yeah. called Mediterraneo, and he'd always be sitting there, just like in a movie, <laughs> holding court with all yeah. these dudes, like coming and hanging there. <laughs> You know, with the envelopes and stuff. And, yeah, so did you uh, did you listen to the Crime Town episode on Providence? No, no, I it's got a bunch about him. It's worth well, taking a listen to okay. for sure. All right, what are you binge watching? Binge watching. Um, okay, I'll say, tell you what we recently finished binge watching was. Do you know these guys that did the League of Gentlemen in England? Yeah. Um, Mark Gaddis and mm-hmm. then um, the two other guys, Reese Shearsmith or something like mm-hmm. that. There's the show Little the, um, Number Nine, something Number Nine, Inside Number Nine. Inside Number Nine. Yeah, it's I've awesome, awesome, just kind of dark and sort of almost horror. Yeah. Um, but also really funny. We've just finished what it was like seven seasons of a new one of that. Right. Um, what else? We like my wife and I. We like um, sort of European cop shows. And stuff. Yeah, so that's, we yeah, did, we watch a lot of that. So yeah. we did all the you know the the you know the Scandinavian ones and yeah. the British ones and. Right. Prime Suspect is that one of them? Oh, the one we loved is Un- Unforgotten. Oh, Unforgotten. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's about yeah, these historical good. cases. Yeah, what's, what's they come back. Her name. That? Um, yeah, I forget. I'm forgetting her name right now. Um, she did. She's uh, I think she did the Hanukkah series on yeah, PBS. Exactly. We watched the first yeah, couple of those. Was, yeah, where she talks into the camera. Yeah, talks into the camera. Yeah, yeah. yeah awesome. We love that Unforgotten. Show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Uh, that's just a couple. Very good. Okay, and as you can see, I've got everything's out of whack here. I don't know why, but um, okay. Uh, we're, we're at a conference. Yeah, we're yeah. good. We're, we're having beers. What are you reading for pleasure? So uh, I, I'm start, I just finished um, that guy Murakami. I just finished this, like 1,200 page book um, called One Q84. It's sort of this play on 1984 as George Orwell. But I just started um, Frederick Bachman. I think is his name. He wrote this famous book called Anxious People, and this one I'm reading now is called A Man Called Ove. Oh yeah, the man called but, Ove. But yeah, Otto, yeah. it's now Otto, and it's a movie with Tom. Yeah, Hanks. but the original yeah, yeah. is man called Ove. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. started. That's yeah. I, I love that. You I love you? that novel. Yeah, yeah, I just started. Yeah, it. I read it a couple of years ago. Cool. Yeah, oh, it's really it. funny. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so. Yeah, I just love. I like his stuff. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. All right, best work of history you've read recently. You know, I'm, I'm gonna by re, I'm gonna take recently loosely here. Yeah. I taught a grad class maybe last year, and I had never read *Plutopia* by Kate Brown. Oh God. Which just blew me away. It sort of does this paired history of the Soviet Union and this um, site in Washington State, of, like a new, where like there were different sort of nuclear reactor disaster kind right, of things. Yeah. And it just that book kind of blew me away in terms of telling out of poignant stories of regular people in the Soviet Union and in like, rural Washington. It's, I don't know, just sort of the fallout, no pun intended, of the Cold War yeah. to regular people. Yeah. So that, that book's won a million awards. It came out a long time ago, but um, that, that's one that jumps to mind. First computer. Like me personally? Yeah. yeah. Not your parents, yours. Okay, my parents would be the Apple II Plus with the no, you know, no lowercase letters on the screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, just all caps. Wow. In grad school, someone gave me um, their hand-me-down laptop. And it was a brand, I don't even know, Toshiba or something. Yeah. It had this like gigantic ball like instead oh, of yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. I remember yeah. and it would yeah. kind of like click into the side and it was yeah. like it was like a big ball like playing that ski ball game. Yeah, yeah. Like this gigantic the, yeah, the ball you sort of navigate. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know I don't remember the brand name, but that, yeah. I think that was it. I think I had a Tandy eight oh eight eight. I I had yeah. a Commodore sixty four but I got it like way after they came out. Like my mom bought it at like a thrift shop. Like and um I remember That's awesome. and then my first like laptop was like a gateway that was second hand. Right. I don't know if you you've been to the I'm sure you know the um, 
the Deutsches Museum in yeah. Munich. And they have like in a display in a museum about technology computers that like I remember yeah. using. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of jar. I think they have yeah. the Commodore. Yeah, that's why I asked you that question. Yeah. Okay. I saw that on Twitter. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. The one in uh, Zurich, the Zion Museum in Zurich, they have a display of like personal music devices. Oh yeah. You know, like the, the pre Walkman Walkman. Oh, right. Okay. How they and you're like, yeah, I had that one. Yeah, I think I had that one. Before the one, yeah, with the yellow, like the clasp and the yeah, the, yeah, the case. Yeah, and it would be waterproof. Food. Right, right. Okay, uh, back to some literature. Uh, favorite novel by an American author. Okay, I love um, Company K by um, William March. It's um, Steve Trout knows it, loves yeah, yeah. it. We, I, I've taught it a lot. Do you guys know this book? It, it, it's it's I've a, heard of it. Yeah, it's a hundred. So William March was from Alabama, he fought World War One, the raids, and then he wrote a book that's 131 one-page chapters from the perspective of 131 members of this company, fictional company K. And I don't know, you guys as Warren Society, we tend to become kind of hardened about war movies and right, war. It takes right. a lot to yeah. kind of get us like, yeah. wow, right. this book just like kind of blew me away when I first read it, and like makes you. There's, some of the stories are told from the perspective of soldiers who've died already, but told in the first person. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's stories that track across the 130 chapters, so there's sort of an arc. Um, it's, it's an unbelievable book. Written 1930, 31, 33 minutes. All right. Who's your football club? Oh. Because on your Twitter, you have a, a goalkeeper yeah, making do. a save. Yeah. I told you, I would, yeah, I told you yep. a few weeks ago. I like Liverpool. Liverpool. We're having a rough season right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I became, I've always loved European football, and but never really kind of had a team. And coming out of the 14 World Cup, I sort of just like, I don't know, this, I got the bug again. And yeah. I, I'm a Red Sox fan, and so yeah. they own Liverpool, and so I just sort of auditioned yeah. Liverpool and got sort of sucked in right so away. So do you remember when we were kids on PBS, once a week, they'd show soccer made in Germany? <laughs> You remember exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I remember staying up. It would be on like at 10, 10 o'clock yeah. at night. It was like an hour long. It would be like highlights or something. Yeah. And Like and just then, a show about Franz Beckenbauer? Yeah. yeah. No, it was, exactly. that's what it was. No, it was, it was yeah. the Bundesliga. And, yeah. it was, yeah. and it was just so foreign because, you know, it would be raining. There would be snow. Yeah. Yeah. There would be, yeah. you know, all this, you know. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. This, you know, the fields are just torn to shreds, you know, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It seems so cool. Yeah. I remember this. No, it was, so, it was yeah. just, wow. And probably Monty Python was on right after that. Yeah. So. yeah. But I, I love Liverpool. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassingly live and die by how they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That, that was one of my resolutions a couple years ago. Was I was like, I'm going to stop having my identity be so determined yeah, I, by I, I sports teams. I know. I struggle with this. <laughs> well, you, 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 you get upset about these things, and then you double it by saying you're such an idiot yeah. why do you care I don't, right. I've never right. met these people right you know right. they don't care what I'm doing yeah. they yeah. should be the ones upset about this yep. so I've got a little part their coach yeah yeah, yeah. 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 but like we um, so I remember so my, my daughter's boyfriend uh, is a Georgia fan because I live in Georgia and we were watching Ohio State Georgia and it got down to that uh, last field goal where the OSU kickers got a chance to, to win the game and I said, okay, we, we mute it, and I turn around. Some, yeah. And they were like, no, what, what, what are you talking about? I was like, this is what I do, and if you don't like it, you can leave the room. Like, this is, <laughs> <That's interesting. laughs> I, have a friend, I have a friend who's a Georgia fan. She cannot, she can't watch unless there are three touchdowns up. Yeah. And I'm kind of not, I have to kind of watch. That would be even worse to me to kind of not. Some people just can't take it. So yeah, I yeah. think well, I'm no, actually slightly saner like, than the basketball in Texas. Yeah. He like won't watch the games. Yeah. Because yeah. he really thinks if he watches the games. See, this makes me feel a little less crazy. No, so because I'll, I'll text him and say, well, Texas is winning, so you must have been watching the game. Yeah. He's yeah. like, yeah, you're right. All right. So, like, with my, my daughters in tennis, yeah. um, I think that what I do has an impact yeah. on the, so if, you know, I don't, a lot of times don't watch because I'm too nervous to watch. I can't or, imagine. Or whatever. But, so if I have a certain route that I'm going around the courts, and I come back by, I text my wife, and I say, okay, what's the score? If she's up, I'm like, okay, i got to keep walking that same route. <laughs> so you, pay, you pace during pace, the match? I matches? pace the whole time, yeah. Yeah, that watching your own kid play. Yes, yeah, so I, I was telling somebody the other day, I mean, it's like, you know, having done sports myself, yeah. I didn't really get that nervous. I mean, I'd be a little nervous, but watching my kids, I'm going to vomit. Like, it course. makes me want to vomit. Oh, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> because you've got no control. Yeah. It's the same yeah. way. Yeah, that's... All right. 
really, really difficult. All right, um, Star Trek or Lost in Space? Uh, I was never a Trek guy, so Lost. I love Lost in Space. That's why, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. I love Lost in Space. And before we do the final question that we can do together, now I know you're a Jersey man, Garden State or Armpit of America? <laughs> uh, both, probably, like all academics. It's got to be It is hilarious that it's called the Garden State. Yeah. I mean, it really is. But, I mean, the air, although, you know. There's places that are beautiful. There are. Yeah. I mean, Jersey actually gets a bad. I, lo- yeah. I, I like Jersey. Yeah. I mean, now yeah. when I go back there, I, I, I can't take how. I, I just can't take all these people. Oh my yeah. God, there's just yeah. traffic and stuff. I'm just so acclimated to like to Tuscaloosa kind of speed yeah. of things. Right. Like, Maybe being here this week, like it's just, I mean, it's cool. I like it, but. I'm driving from the airport. Yeah, it's just yeah, like. I was like <laughs> it's just like kind of jarring out to yeah. see all this. And, and in Jersey, Jersey's really. I mean, the, but from my town to Manhattan, and if you include Manhattan, in that space is Newark, Jersey City, Hoboken. I mean, it's the most densely, one of the right. most densely populated places. Right. In the world, if you yeah. look at that, 20 million people in that 30 mile right. space. Um, so it's just something else. But yeah, I like Jersey. Garden yeah. State. I'll say Garden State. Yeah. Good. All right, the big question we, we give everybody um, you know, Bill, our, our native Texan here, me, the South Carolinian, um, for you, is it brisket or is it pork? As I told Bill, um, I'm a vegetarian. So I'm not going to be able. Sure I'm not going to be able to adjudicate this very well for you. How long have you been a vegetarian? Since 1994. Really? Yeah. I That's make a impressive. couple exceptions. Kara always makes fun of me. I make exceptions occasionally for bacon and pepperoni because they're delicious. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to kill any animals to get bacon. I mean. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't have to. Exactly. So I don't. I can't. I'm sorry. I can't weigh in on the brisket. Okay. Fair enough. Pork. Fair enough. What's the correct answer on that? Uh, it's pork. Brisket. Okay. Burn, I, you know what? I, burned ends. Bill's giving me a hard time because my wife sent him a picture of me eating barbecue, and I was actually eating burnt ends. And if I had to choose between burnt ends or shredded pork, I'd go burnt ends. Yeah, okay. I mean, burnt ends are tough to eat. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. What is brisket? It's beef. Beef. Okay. Yeah. It's a big slab. Of yeah. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> that used to, and you know, I think we've talked about this before, the amazing thing, regrettable thing, is... Barbecue used to be like the food of the common, you know, poor people. Oh, yeah. And now, yeah, it's become, you know, you go yeah, out for barbecue, you want to get half a rack of ribs, you're going to part with 30 bucks. I yeah, mean, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Isn't that the kind of street food thing that's happened in a lot of places? Like, right. like street right. food is getting appropriated and commercialized, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, you have to learn how to do it yourself. Yeah. And Bill's got a green egg. Well, we've had some, you know, vegetarian, we've had vegan. Yeah. You know, it's all right. I had drunken noodles with tofu today, so uh, you okay. could have you could have been in on that. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think I might have told you this. I went. I um, we had a we had Megan Kate Nelson come and speak yeah. at Tuscaloosa in Tuscaloosa yeah. last semester, and we took her to barbecue to this place called Dreamland, which is kind oh, yeah, of this yeah, famous yeah. place. Oh yeah, yeah, world famous, yeah. And I've never really been out for barbecue. Yeah, Glenn right? Robbins and I went there when we were okay. at the conference. And they they yeah. bring, I mean, this won't shock you, but it's shock. They they bring this like full loaf of white bread. Yeah. And I'm kind of like asking people, like, why is there, why did they just give us like a loaf of bread here? I'm supposed to just eat this like plain, but so I, I'm just, I'm, I'm ignorant of that whole world, but it was eye opening. Yeah. yeah. It was eye opening. Well, that was great. Thank yeah, you. Good, man. Well, Thank this you. This is fun. I, yeah. Thanks for doing this, taking the no time. No problem. I appreciate y'all. Busy, busy comfort schedule and everything. Yeah. It's been fun to do it in person. And, uh, yeah. Thanks for everybody for listening and, and hanging out with us in, in the bar here. Yeah, and Andrew's going to make that deadline. He's going to get the book in yeah, uh, by yeah. December 24th. Now that it's official. It's I don't know. What so was the score? It looked score. pretty close. It's pretty close yeah, in the second half. Yeah, we're in the second half. Yeah. I saw Alabama people cheering, so something good might happen. So something might have good happened. Yeah. Let's see how Texas does later. We have to stay up late well, actually, not as late as it was. No, right? And uh, so, before we sign off, um, when this episode airs, all of you should know that Bill doesn't yet realize it, but he's probably got hours of editing to get all this background noise out. <laughs> <laughs> can you do that? That's impressive. I don't think so. I don't know if I can. Yeah, you can. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can separate the. the if not, we can just we'll just okay. do it again. No, nah, it'll be fine. It'll be I, okay. no. It'll yeah. be part of the ambiance. Yeah. It'll be fine. I, we were talking beforehand. I said, how many? Sports shows have you listened to from a bar? Exactly. Where like the I mean, they're, they're doing well, Saban, yeah, show, Saban does right? one every week. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, and, and Kelly and his buddy, you know, do Bow and Blade. Yeah. And a lot of times they do it. Alabama's up by four. Up by four. All right. Yeah. 
right. 36-32, high scoring affair in the second half. There you are. All right. Well, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, appreciate thank it. All right. Appreciate it. Folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Military Historians or People Too. Brian heads up the research department and our social media division, and Bill heads up production, editing, and music. We're not monetized, and we depend upon you, dear listener, to help us spread the word about this podcast. So tell your friends, share on social media, listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and wherever the heck you get your podcast. If you need an idea for your class, make them listen to military historians of people too. Give them some extra credit. Thanks for listening.